Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. What's up, monkeys? Monkey Dan here, and welcome to the Live Wild or Die podcast. This is our 100th episode. I can't believe it. I remember starting initially just, I bought this little microphone to plug into my iPhone. I'd hike out in the woods here, just outside of Boulder. I'd sit under this tree. I think it was wintertime, so it was pretty cold. I'd, I'd bring a little foam pad, sit under this tree, and just kind of let the thoughts flow. And here we are, 100 episodes later. So I appreciate everyone that's been along for the journey. I appreciate all the feedback I've gotten from you guys. And it's kind of been, it's just kind of been an ongoing conversation and just stream of consciousness exercise for myself. You know, I can, I can remember just again, those early days recording on my phone. And then one episode I really remember vividly is being in the Grand Canyon kind of sitting under a tree again, recording kind of a pre, I think it was a pre run episode. And then again, after I jacked my ankle, I recorded an episode after that. So it's been, it's actually been also kind of a cathartic process and exercise as well. You know, I mentioned this on previous episode, but it was a Jordan Peterson idea that I read from him that it wasn't necessarily new, just the way he articulated it was really uh, useful to me, or at least I understood it quite well. But it was essentially like your ideas in your head can make total sense. And then as soon as you externalize those ideas, it's like, oh man, I was totally off or that makes no sense. And having the podcast for me, you know, I'll I'll say things sometimes and I'm like, what the hell am I talking about? I, uh, I delete those recordings a lot and, (laughs) and, uh, redo it or just scrap the whole idea to begin. But no, it's been a super useful exercise and I would highly suggest you find an outlet for that, whether it's a journal or just, you know, chatting with friends, just again, there's nothing wrong with putting ideas out there. It really helps, helps you learn more about yourself and just, if anything, just understand your thought process better. So thanks again, monkeys. I appreciate you guys and man, 100 episodes wild. All right, so we've got, this is going to be definitely a variety show, but I wanted to read a note real quick from Monkey Lindsay. I hope I'm saying her last name right. Lindsay Duggan, or Dugan, from Alaska. She sent a really awesome note, so I just wanted to share it. I think she had some really good points. So she says, hey, Monkey Dan, as a former college athlete barreling towards my 30th birthday next month, happy early birthday, I've been working to shift my mindset around fitness and a healthier lifestyle of movement. Over the last six months, I've been working to get myself back to an adequate level of fitness. For 20 years of my life, playing multiple high-level organized sports, they provided the framework for my fitness, and I was just a passive participant. Since my playing days have ended, I've struggled to maintain the structure and discipline for myself. Over the years, I've always tried conventional methods to staying in shape, such as going to the gym for an hour, running, etc. Never with any sustained success. Excuse me. I've also never been one to buy into all these different home workout systems that are all out there. They all seem so gimmicky. But the Monkey 360 Kickstarter really caught my attention. Since receiving my 360, I've also picked up a few other Monkey products and could not be happier. But for those first few months, I let my hectic work schedule 
and little time at home keep me from regular training and building a routine. I recently started listening to your podcast, starting with the older episodes and working my way to the present. I enjoy the stream of consciousness and you, and that you are willing to share your journey, successes, lessons learned, and conversations you've had about it. I couldn't believe how silly that mindset, oh, whoops, excuse me, and the conversations you've had along the way. I've started finding ways to maximize and aggregate as much movement as I can throughout the day. Shout out to micro workouts. I was falling victim to the excuse that I couldn't get a full workout in. If I, that, excuse me, I'll start that over. She says, I was falling victim to the excuse that if I couldn't get a full workout in, it wasn't worth doing anything at all. But after hearing you talk about it, I couldn't believe how silly that mindset really sounds. The idea of micro workouts has really helped me transition from off the couch to building my fitness right on. And she continues, I'm amazed how much more energy I have just by taking your tip of starting the day with three rounds of rows, squats, and push-ups. Now it's part of my morning routine and I don't want to miss it. Even after a long day, if I allow myself to watch TV, to watch a TV show, to decompress, I'm getting up during the commercials to add more reps. This has been a game changer for me and I'm, and I'm encouraged that the more I move, the more I'm finding other ways to fit more movement into my day. Hey, that's pretty awesome. I tell anyone who will listen how awesome all your products are. Shout out to the wild man monkey Ken Brock. <laughs> and I just want to drop the note to say, thanks. Thanks for the community you guys have built and the lifestyle mindset you have cultivated and are not afraid to share with others. Thanks for bringing the wildness Lindsay in Anchorage, Alaska. I love getting notes like this. It's a, uh, you know, there's what, how many billion people on the planet? You got to think there's other people out there that have these same ideas, same problems, same struggles. And yeah, you know, that, that idea of if you can't get the full workout, it's not worth doing anything. It's uh, I, I don't know why I used to think that way, but it makes me feel a little bit better that I'm not the only one. So thank you, Lindsay, for sharing your thoughts. So stoked to have you in the monkey family and stay wild up North. You know, this also reminds me of, I was listening to, there's a guy's name's Alistair Humphreys. He's a Brit. He basically, he's super, he became famous for riding his bicycle around the world. I think it was a four year journey, but I think he just turned 40 or he, he's in his early forties and he's kind of talking about this frustration and reconciliation he's having with kind of his former adventurous self to now where he's a dad, he's married, he has a couple kids, a mortgage, these responsibilities. And, you know, he, he talks about this mindset of, well, if I can't, I had this mindset, well, if I couldn't do this, you know, multi-year, multi-thousand mile journey, I wasn't going to do anything. But he's really shifted that mindset to this idea of micro adventures where it's maybe just, you know, after work, heading out in the hills, camping or sleeping under the stars outside and then getting up early and heading back to work the next morning on time. So just kind of sneaking, it's kind of like a micro workout approach to adventure, thus micro adventures. But, you know, I really, uh, I totally resonate with both Lindsay and what Alistair's talking about. It's kind of that all or nothing approach. And I certainly share Alistair's frustration and, uh, just the struggle of how to reconcile, you know, wanting to just get out there. There's so much 
I want to do and kind of essentially could do, but there's other, uh, there's other things holding you down. So anyhow, anyone uh, has a similar story or thought, please send it my way. All right, moving on next shout out to the wild man, monkey, John Gertz. He's my buddy. We were Rangers together back in uh, California. He sent me an article from outside magazine. Let me pull up the article real quick. It's called the new science of fatigue resistance. And it's basically talking about, they use these professional or semi-professional cyclists for these different tests. And essentially what kind of is separating the pros from the semi-pros or elite amateurs is their, what they're terming fatigue resistance. And it's an interesting article. You know, I've seen these articles in outside before and what kind of, what rubs me the wrong way a little bit is even this title, the new science of fatigue resistance. You know, it's like the study had 14 people. They're elite, they're elite cyclists. It's just, I think there's a lot of other factors to consider and it's very hard to draw kind of broad reaching conclusions. You know, so for example, if you're studying super elite athletes, are you studying people that already have this fatigue resistant trait genetically, or is the, the fatigue resistance due to their training? It's probably both. And I just, I think one of the biggest errors in exercise science is trying to apply insights or studies that use elite athletes to the general population. So again, it's just, it's just something to consider. Like you kind of want to look at older training protocols in a way because they've been proven not just by studies, but by time and results. And, you know, there's, there's certain things that they're just not well understood from a scientific perspective, but we know, for example, like lifting weights, they're like muscle growth, like what causes a muscle to grow and get stronger isn't super well understood, but we know there are certain protocols that tend to work better than others. And it's more of this anecdotal anecdotal evidence. So just, just my, my caution to you is just when you see, especially in the, in the nutrition and the fitness space, when you see these headlines of new study proves or new study shows, you just need to be skeptical, you know, but it's not to say it's not worth kind of looking into it and considering. So this is fatigue resistance for endurance cycling. And my buddy, John Gertz, they're basically at the end of the article, they talk about how increasing total volume for your long workouts, which is done at a really low intensity, relatively comfortable intensity. And then adding sprints has this, this kind of unique ability to add fatigue resistance. And, you know, I've heard over and over again, that volume, particularly for endurance sports, that seems to provide the greatest outcomes for performance. And it makes total sense to me. If you train at the appropriately low volume, you can recover better and faster. You're going to absorb that training at a greater rate, or you're going to absorb much more of the training than if you kind of go too hard for too long and you're just, you're like over exhausted. You're overtraining, not from like a pathological standpoint, but you're just, you're pouring, you're trying to pour water into a cup that's already full, if that makes sense. And what's also important to know for endurance, that long, slow, comfortable duration, that kind of zone two 
it just, it makes you super efficient. Your body just gets super efficient using energy. You, you essentially can even potentially like you can go at the same speed and use less, less energy over time. So that's also super important. But if you think about the principle of said, so specific adaptation to impose to excuse me, specific adaptation to impose demands. If you train sprint capacity in a fatigue state, you're literally training fatigue resistance. So again, this article is talking about the most elite athletes. They could maintain their, essentially their sprinting ability, even when fatigued. So it makes sense to me. If you train at the end of a long session, some sprints, you're, you're literally training that exact thing. So could be worth something to experiment with if you're someone interested in more endurance sports, you know, a Spartan race, anything like that. You know, I could see particularly for the OCR races, the obstacle course races, you know, a lot of those you're kind of, I know you're trail running and then you get to these events where you really have to crank up the intensity. So it makes really a lot of sense to me to apply that type of training methodology in that situation. So thank you always to the wild man, John Gertz, always always has interesting uh, topics to bring up. So much appreciated. Next comes from the monkey wild. I got to pull this up. So shout out to monkey Craig, the wild man, the West coast wild man. He posted in the monkey wild, an article. The title is dream of American perimeter trail still alive for bend backpacker. And so real quick, what it is, this is a, it's a long distance hiking trail. It is, let's see here. So the trail, it's going to be more, this American perimeter trail, it will be more than 14,000 miles. And the guy that's developing it, his name's Rue McKenrick. R-U-E McKenrick. He's hiked about 10,000 miles of it. He had some health issues he had to pull out, but it's a rad trail. He started in Bend, Oregon, headed south along the Pacific Crest Trail. Looks like he went down somewhere in the southern Sierras and then cut east, kind of like just a few hundred miles north of the U.S.-Mexico border across Texas. Swings through Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi. Kind of looks like he follows the Appalachian Trail back north. Cuts over Wisconsin, Michigan, northern Minnesota, and then across North Dakota, Montana, northern Idaho, northern Idaho, Washington, and then back to Bend, Oregon. So I just, oh man, this stuff just gets me. I just love the idea of these things. I hope, I hope that I can get out and do, you know, a proper long distance trail. I've hiked the John Muir Trail. It's 200 miles. I did it in nine days or eight. It was either nine or eight and a half days. It was, it was really fast. I was hiking like 25 miles a day. So it was, um, you know, waking up at four 30 every day and just hiking all day long for eight or nine days. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was awesome. It was super fun. I got to see so much country. I just, I love this totally stripped down existence. Cause to go at that speed, I just, I couldn't really bring much extra stuff at all. So I had the absolute minimum and oh man, it was just, uh, just probably one of the best experiences of my life besides having kids, getting married, you know, those, the things that actually really matter, but from like an adventure perspective, man, it just, uh, 
it was such a magical experience. And there's something about you just, you got to spend, you got to get out there for time. Like I think once you get towards that, that week plus time, you, your mind starts to relax and let go. You know, I feel like the weekend or the long weekend or even the week long trip, it's like just when you start to hit that little bit of like your mental state changing and relaxing, kind of letting go of everything, you know, that stresses you out or whatever, you're kind of headed right back into it. So I hope if you're listening at least once, you can get out for something more extended. However, you know, I get it. I'm in it, man. I get it. Like you can't always just drop out for a month. We have families, we have jobs, responsibilities. I just, I get it. And I think that's where that micro adventure concept can really, I don't, I don't know if it can replicate it perfectly, but it can at least scratch the itch and just kind of take the edge off a little bit more. So start to maybe think about how can you sneak in some micro adventures? I've actually, I'm really psyched. I'm, uh, I'm really psyched on bike packing. So it's essentially just, you know, I've got, I bought a few bags for my, it's called an adventure bike. The marketing totally got me, but they're essentially these packs, dry bags. You can strap on to your bike and then you can bike pack. So I'm really stoked to try and do some human powered adventures leave from my front door, ride my bike up to some trailheads, camp at the trailhead, wake up early, maybe get a monkey workout in, maybe go for a trail run, maybe hike a peak, maybe climb, maybe just jump in a lake, whatever, but just kind of get these little doses of wildness and then jam back home. So I'll, uh, I'll definitely post some stuff when that goes down and you guys can kind of see what that journey looks like. But thanks again to wild man, monkey Craig, for sharing, check out the American perimeter trail and see what's around you. You know, there's, there's so many trails and communities that I think people are rediscovering in the last year or so. And, uh, they're awesome. Take advantage of them. All right. So moving on, I had the pleasure of chatting with the wild man of the North monkey Earl yesterday up in Northern Norway. And, uh, he informed me that he's been going carnivore ish for about maybe a month or so. I think is what he said. He said he felt great. And I'm pretty sure I said on a podcast, I thought that the carnivore diet was stupid, (laughs) but just to give a little more, uh, context on that, I think, um, I guess what I was really saying was, I think the, what's the right term? I think the hypothesis that only eating meat would be ideal is incorrect. However, I don't think there's anything wrong with kind of taking that meat or animal based approach. It's kind of like the opposite of the plant-based and what Earl and I talked about, which I've had this thought and I, I brought, I've brought it up a few other times, but I haven't really gotten to fully articulate it. But from an evolutionary perspective, I cannot imagine, you know, a human 10,000 years ago or 50,000 years ago, or even 500 years ago, passing up an opportunity for food, whether that's plant or animal. So if you're, if you're hunting deer 
you're not going to not eat the berries along the hunting trail because you think they're going to give you enough set stomach unless they're like poisonous. But if you know, if you see some huckleberries, some blueberries, you're like, yes, you're going to mouth those things to the max. And I just, I wonder if, you know, there's, there's kind of these leading carnivore diet doctors that they're really, um, they're talking about these compounds and plants that are immunogenic, meaning they kind of, they create kind of an autoimmune response or even toxins. You know, I wonder if, and it's not to say that that's not true, but I wonder if the issue with plants is we just don't eat enough variety. You know, I think I've heard something, I can't remember where this was, but kind of pre, pre, uh, agricultural humans ate like over 200 species of plants. And you go to the grocery store now, I, I did this exercise the other day. It's like, there's just not that many different plants. And I know a lot of like the kales and maybe broccoli. I know there's, there's kind of one species or genus or family of plants that all kind of stem from one. So maybe there's something about just eating too much of this one type. So, but, uh, Earl also talked about, he's not like, he's not doing this, like, uh, only eating, you know, steak, salt, and water. He's, he's definitely including some other things, but you know, Earl's someone I respect and I know he doesn't do things without, uh, looking into them and really being conscientious, conscientious, let me try that again. Conscientious about what he's doing. So it's cool to talk to him about it. And, you know, he just said he loves meat. So nothing wrong with that. I definitely myself take kind of a, I'll just say protein first approach, whether that's eggs, meat, yogurt. I eat a lot of yogurt, but typically my breakfast looks like four eggs, a whole avocado cooked in butter. Sometimes I'll make some bacon. There's this just a total side note, but there's this awesome company. Anyone in the Boulder, Denver area listening, there's this awesome company called Locavore. They source meat from local ranches and farms. It's so good. And you know, you just, you, you know, it's coming from at least a better place at the minimum. So something I've been into yeah, just that protein based, that protein first approach. So again, eggs, avocado for breakfast. And then for dinner, the base is typically a meat a fish with, you know, maybe a sweet potato. I don't eat like a ton of salads really, but I'm trying to think what's another staple vegetable. We like asparagus is pretty common. We've actually been doing recently, um, like shredded cabbage and carrots and kind of sauteing that things like that. But I honestly don't eat a ton of vegetables. I eat a decent amount of fruit, oranges, apples, bananas, pineapple, kind of whatever's in season. This past winter, a lot of potatoes, but yeah, I just, I don't eat a ton of vegetables, but I also don't specifically avoid them. So gosh, it should be interesting to do like a, just take a meal journal for a while. But yeah, I'm, it was curious to, it was cool to hear Earl share his thoughts and well, to have him on and he can talk about it more, man, it's just, he gave me a tour of where he's at up there. It's such a beautiful area. It's so wild. It's right on the sea. There's just peaks coming right out of the water. It's amazing. So we, we did, uh, 
or I, I haven't mentioned this for a while, but we did something called the monkey venture back in 2017. So we took a group of wild monkeys. I think there was 13 or 14 of us total, but we did this trip up in Lofoten, Norway, this islands, this, this chain of islands up, uh, just you're above the Arctic circle. It's, looks like the end of the earth. It's beautiful. It's totally wild. And we did a week long adventure. We climbed, we paddleboarded, we camped, we hiked. We, uh, we did a lot of wilds. We, we monkeyed for sure. And it was really fun. So maybe we can do one of those again. Who knows? All right. And then I wanted to wrap this up with just a little training update. So I was doing this kind of pretty regular routine where I'd wake up first thing in the morning. I'd either go for a hike. I was doing either a walk, a run, or kind of an interval sprint walk run. And I would do that. And then I'd come back. I would do either some squats or some deadlifts, some calisthenics, monkey style. So like rows, pushups, things of that nature. And then I'd go mobilize stretch. And I was feeling really good. And there's there's one morning I ran, I ran a little bit longer than I had. It wasn't anything it's not like I went from, you know, two miles to 10. It was like maybe a half mile or a mile longer. It wasn't super significant. Did some front squats, went inside and I did a super intense couch stretch with, I'll try and describe what that's like, but essentially you put the top of your foot on your couch cushion and you try to bring your knee as close, close to the bottom of the couch as you can. So it's, it's kind of like a lunge, but the couch is kind of folding your leg in half. And I just did a super aggressive couch stretch where I was like extending my hip and even adding kind of a back bend. It felt good at the time, but I walked to work after that. And then I was kind of sitting for a second and got back. My knee was just like totally locked up. The pain was on the sides and top of my patella. And I just, I'm just going, oh no. And it just kind of kept getting worse, getting stiffer and stiffer and uh, walked home. And then the next couple of days it was pretty painful. And I just started mobilizing like crazy shout out to supple leopard. Thank you, Dr. Kelly Sturrett. I just, I can't believe the amount of awesome information for free on YouTube and just the internet in general. If, if you have, if you have a basic understanding of your own physiology and anatomy, you can really pretty much avoid going to the doctor for at least minor tweaks and strains, sprains, things like that. I mean, you can really get some awesome information if you trust the source and know where to look. So who I go to typically the wild man, Kelly Starrett, but I did a bunch of just mobilization exercises for my knee, which is rolling out my quads, definitely not stretching anymore. Cause that's what, what I think jacked it up was this super intense stretch. I think I just for whatever reason, maybe that tissue was primed from the running and lifting and it just got overstretched and kind of seized back up. But I just stayed very diligent and definitely did not run, but I stayed super diligent with the mobilization, these recovery and rehab exercises. And it's totally good to go now. And that was probably, it was like, after a couple of weeks, the pain was more or less gone. And then I just gave it a couple more weeks to just really make sure everything was good to go. So it was actually kind of a blessing in disguise because I rested way more, which I hadn't really taken a legit rest break for a while. So I feel really awesome. I've recovered. My strength feels good. 
My energy feels good. I hadn't been sleeping well for, it's been a long time, but, uh, sleep has actually improved as well, probably because of the just lower physical stress on my body. So it kind of turned into a blessing in disguise. And just what I'll do now is I'm going to start to shift my training from training to doing. So it's finally like summer's here or at least spring. It's warm, snow's going away. So doing's going to be trail running, biking, climbing. What else am I psyched on? Probably some fishing, probably some backpacking, probably some just like going to the park, maybe playing pickup basketball, whatever. But the focus and priority will become doing. And then my training will be basically what I'm not doing. So if I'm going on long runs, long rides, long hikes, climbing, I'll kind of counterbalance that with some heavier lifting or more intense kind of calisthenics. So we would do, when I was uh, in college, when I was an athlete, we would maintain a strength conditioning program, even in season. So even when we had games and practice for three hours a day, we were still going to the weight room, but the volume was very low and we kept the loads pretty high. So you're maybe only doing maybe two or three sets in the maybe one to five reps at the max. I'd say probably more like in the two to three rep range, just to kind of keep your nervous system fresh and just kind of maintain all that you'd built over the months leading up to that. So it's pretty easy once you put in the volume and the time once you've kind of built up a really solid base and you get your strength up, as long as you keep adding these little micro sessions in, you can maintain, I don't know, probably 90, 95% of your strength, unless you're like a super elite power lifter. But if you're just kind of an all arounder and you just, you build up this solid level of strength, you don't need to do it every day or even like three or four days a week if you're doing other stuff. So it's good to undulate. It's good to vary stuff up throughout the year. So that's kind of how I'll go through summer and then kind of once fall starts to roll around and it's a uh, archery season, bow season's coming up. I'll start to do a little bit more deliberate, heavy packing and just get ready for that. Plus going to the archery range, there's this awesome course here in the mountains. It's essentially like a golf course, but for archery. So you're hiking around in the mountains and there's targets at all different angles and distances. It's just, it's so much fun. I go up there first thing in the morning. I'm the only one there. It's a good workout too. Just hiking up and downhill for a few hours. So, oh, it's so much fun. So that's our 100th live wild or die episode. And you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this without you guys. So I appreciate all the monkeys Monkey family has just been, um, you guys have been awesome, especially over the last year. I know it's been rough for a lot of people, but hopefully we're on the way out. We're on the way up and we'll just keep getting wilder together. So it's all a journey. Stoked to have you guys along. I'll see you guys out there. Monkey on.